And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 34 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Sunday, July 6th, 2014. So are you bummed out that your country's team is out of the World Cup? Excited that your country's team is still in it? Well, why not tell us all about it in a review over on iTunes, won't you? Just go on over there, tell us about all the opponent's flops or that uncalled-for foul that screwed it all up, and then just let us know what you think about the show, because we're here to listen, Joe and I. And if you feel better and you want all your content marketing news, goodness, a couple of days early, we hope you'll also consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher. And then stop on by the blog post at thisoldmarketing.com where you'll find all the links to the news and the show notes and everything we're going to talk about here today. And anyway, and also, as always, please welcome my colleague and good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio, seconds away from a short vacation. Please welcome the heat miser, Mr. Sun, Mr. 101 of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Happy summer to you, my friend. I don't know about you, but it's hot as hell here in it's LA. It's actually not too bad here in Cleveland. It's, oh, oh, really? We had right, literally well, on the 4th of July... It was the night. It was low seventies. It was sunny. It it had to be the nicest weather day we've had all year. And usually on the Fourth of July, we are hot and humid. I mean, it's approaching ninety. You can't stand it. Uh, yeah. And we had yeah. we had a little little party over at our place during the day. We had you know there was a Fourth of July uh, parade that went on, and then all the kids came over and we counted. There were fifteen kids in our little pool all at one time and it was you know we don't have one of those big olympic sized pools it's a little 18 <laughs> foot <pool>. right <laughs> nice. so it was interesting nice. and i gotta tell you cleaning that was an experience i wouldn't wish on anybody after that was oh done. after but after little kids exactly. in there that's it was fun a, they all had a great a time how was your fourth that's fantastic my fourth was lovely my friend it was uh it was really great it was very low-key we actually ended up just going to see a movie and then hanging out and watching the fireworks from our back porch um, which was really nice. So I sat with a beautiful, lovely Reposado tequila and just had a very nice evening. Oh, that's it was, nice. it was, yeah, it was, but it's hot here. It's really, really hot. So, and, and a little more humid than, than would otherwise be for LA, but maybe the one yeah, time but otherwise, when yeah. maybe we have nicer weather here in Cleveland than you do. And so we, when we talk in December and January, you always make fun of yeah me. exactly well ju- yeah yeah july and august is not known la is not known for its great weather but um yeah but anyway so let's why don't, why don't we talk about a little news here it's very light news week um we are in the midst of uh i think summer vacations a lot of people were and off all that week. depth of oh, summer everybody yeah took exactly week off, which, so. is, which i was thankful about i'll tell you that yeah a lot of well it was li- email light yeah. for sure this whole week so um but yeah, light news week, but let's start off with the news. And I guess, you know, interestingly enough, it's it's a rather big piece of news. Content marketing, I think, dun, 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 hits the big time. We are now, Joe, ready for it? Dramatic music, please. Content marketing in Harvard Business Review, an article called The Content Marketing Revolution. I, did you know there was a revolution wow. going on, I, Joe? And yeah. it's so funny, I actually have that URL. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there Luckily, you go. Luckily, so, now we can actually use it for something since HDR talked about God. it. We've got, think we've, yeah, so, it's since they, so now we're real. Uh, a guy by the name of Alexander Juktowicz, uh is the vice chairman and global strategist at Hill & Knowlton Strategies, which I think is interesting coming from a publishing side. Um, and big shock, he thinks there's content, market re- uh, content marketing revolution going on. And apparently, Joe, brands are starting to get into this whole thing. So <laughs> my question to you uh is this is this the tipping point here where we actually see have we now jumped the shark where Harvard Business Review now recognizes the fact that content marketing is actually a thing I you know reading this you know we, we've talked about this reading this was odd because I'm like well this seemed to be old news I mean it was almost like a review yeah. oh, of course of course I, yeah of course General Electric of course Red Bull of course all these companies right. are doing this and this is what's going on and this is I mean the whole they talk in the article about brands need a, a purpose and they can't just be schlepping products all the time and here's this wonderful thing called content marketing around and I'm like okay finally like yeah well I it was really an odd read for me because I just I I kept looking at it going I kept looking at the date going is this is this is this 2014 that we're, we're that this is being written I mean bully for him for getting it published and and 
I guess shame on us for not yeah, getting it so. published and it you know but um holy smokes it just felt like it, it felt like a deja vu all over again well and even it's funny even in some of the comments you still get those naysayers like what is this this is this can't be re-, you know and we get it all the time right because like, right hey i'm an exactly. old ad guy i'm an old marketing guy i don't get anything we all we have to sell stuff that's our goal <laughs> just like yeah. laughing at yeah. some of this stuff but you know it um the the most recent comment and I don't know if there's been a lot of comments I think 25 comments on this article but our good friend Andy Crestadina I don't know if you saw his take I didn't see his I did see a couple of familiar faces so he's in the, the comments, most recent sure. one and yeah. I just was as we were reviewing the articles I'm going through this and he was talking cuz in the article they talk about the need for journalists and brands are hiring journalists of course we've been talking right. about this forever but what I loved about Andy's point Andy was talking about we what we really need are journalists that also have marketing skills, and, yes. and not just journalists in and of themselves. And we and we talk about this all day. It's not why are we writing this? We're writing it because we're trying to drive sales, we're trying to save some costs, or we're trying to create happier customers, or whatever. And that means that you know journalists have to have some kind of marketing behind them or an idea of what that would be and i love it he at the end he puts teaching a good writer writer to be a marketer is easy teaching a marketer to be a good writer is very difficult <laughs> i just i totally agree it's it's very yeah, that's so true i mean i i too often you know at, at conferences and stuff when we, you know i think the journalism thing gets a little overplayed yeah. Um, and you know, I, you know, as I'll often point out, you know, copywriters are often great writers. They're often not necessarily great writers, but copywriters can make fantastic writers and can write very compelling stories that aren't necessarily journalistic, uh, you know, styled or based, but they still make great content marketers and they can make great content marketers. So it doesn't have to come from a journalism perspective uh, all the time. But but to to your initial question, I don't know what this means. I I think that, I think if any, this, hopefully it's not like we're jumping the shark and we're Fonzie here. I I guess what I'm, (laughs) I guess what I'm thinking is I'll be leather Tuscadero. (laughs) Of course, of course you would. Uh, I, I, I think this, actually just means that content marketing is becoming part of the lexicon of, of the marketing department in a large enterprise. I think this is just the way yeah. it's going to be. I think yeah. we're going to be seeing a lot of these articles, and it's it's going to be no big deal anymore to talk about these things. And maybe that's maybe that's good. Maybe that's it's not where well, we don't it's, have to sound as hard anymore. It's just this is how we have to prepare as brands being publishers, and that's just the way it needs to be today. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the 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 interesting context for this was because I found this article through I was reading another HBR blog article from Beth Comstock, uh, which also came out last week, which talked about the new marketing innovation, which was kind of a complimentary piece to their print magazine that they did this week. Was really the you know the 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 reinvigoration of new marketing processes, which is a great article by the way uh, in the print magazine. And that's how I found the article was it was actually a relate it was actually a suggested link to her blog post, which. And her blog post is is fantastic and talks about the you know the the new marketing organization and how in how they're driving innovation through through GE. So it's a really fascinating a fascinating read. No, the the, the last thing I'll say is because I comment when it when the article came out, I commented on it. So it was four days ago, and the one commenter, which is Nathan, in this says. You got to remember that any content coming from a corporate brand is advertising. We need to realize that it will never be up to snuff compared to uh, what traditional publishing or traditional news. <laughs> and and basically, my response was, uh, "Hi Nathan, all content, no matter the source, is built to profit in some way or another." I mean, I think we need to realize that's exactly. That. I mean, right. if you're New York, that's why I said New York Times sells content directly or gets sponsors, while Red Bull wants to sell more. They want to sell Red Bull, American Red Cross. Why do they do it? They want donations. I mean, it, it's just it's just a matter of how close the check is to your desk. It doesn't. It, that's it, a that's good all way, it is. That's a good way to put it. I don't. Maybe we're just cynical <laughs> yeah. that everyone has a purpose, but they do, right? I mean, it's that's they why do Murdoch absolutely. They the do. Wall Street Journal. I mean, let's be yeah. let's be truthful. Yep. All right, moving on. Uh, this was a really interesting article, I think. It, 
and I really, I've, I've got a take here, and I, and, and it was surprising to me. It's one of those articles that go, yeah, it just makes you think a little, a little bit. Um, the article is entitled "Why Marketers Need to Embrace Their Media Agency," and it comes from uh, the UK uh, Marketing Week in the UK, um, which is a, a great website, by the way. I, I really like it, and it talks to. Um, it basically makes the point that media agencies, so as distinguished from, say, web agencies or ad agencies or creative agencies, you know, the media agencies, the ones that are historically the ones buying media and advertising, are now becoming more rooted in the marketing business than ever before. And they're starting to really differentiate themselves, not only through things like programmatic buying and making it more effective in media buying, but also they're starting to really shake up the market as it pertains to adding creative. And I, you know, I didn't even realize this. And the author goes through a couple of really interesting examples. But basically, he talks through how you know, two of the major awards this year in, in, in branded content came from media agencies, traditional mm-hmm. media agencies. And, how he, and he talks about how some, some of the tradi- traditional you know, media agencies like Mindshare um, and some of them are now – uh, you know, competing for you know agency of the year and those sorts of things, and there and and it's a really interesting transition. We often, you know, you and I talk a lot on this show about how uh, publishers are getting into the business of content and how ad agencies are still trying to get in and figure out the business of content. But we've not really recognized that the media business is really under this big disruption as well. And a lot of these media agencies are actually up and comers, I think, in terms of shaking up the you know shaking up the content marketing piece. Well, what's the most interesting point in this one they talk about says last month, publicist-owned media agency Zenith Optimedia made the made yeah. the move to realign its business and advise clients to adopt an owned-first approach to communications planning. I mean, that right there, that's big. And the whole thing that – so it goes on to lay out the idea of I'm going to have paid media to drive – to own assets. And that's what we've talked about forever with this rent to own strategy. And I think that if yep. you get media agencies behind this, uh, media buying agencies, why, I mean, you're, you're really going to see, you need an inventory of owned content that has to go on beyond the campaign, which I don't know if media uh, buying agencies are equipped for this because I'm, I mean, you know about this more than I do. I mean, <laughs> we talked about it before. I always had this impression of they, you know who's who's actually doing the buying. I mean, in B two B, it's almost silly when you get a call from somebody that hasn't been at the media agency very long, and they want your BPA audit statement, and they want to look at all these different things, and it's like, okay, <laughs> right. you don't even know who you're talking to, but there, here you go. Um, yeah, but but I, but the movement is. I mean, the right? movement is if that's going to happen, we haven't seen anything yet, because if they're going to start using. Uh, this owned first strategy. I mean, do you buy into that? Do you think that this is this is coming where more and more well, of that here's what I is going to go to owned? Here's what I think. I don't know. I don't know about that. But what I do know is that here in LA, I've got uh, a whole network of people through my you know friends and 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 former colleagues who are now part of this very growing. Uh, trend of production houses that are producing content for all kinds of you know agencies, brands, et cetera, et cetera. So there's one that's being formed underneath the Funny or Die studios. There's one that's CAA, the big agency, talent agency is now running. They're the ones who are doing, by the way, the Chipotle stuff. You know, so there's a number of these production houses that are now sort of popping up all over the place. And I can tell you firsthand that I've talked to a number one, a number of them. And they are now getting outreach from media, traditional media buying agencies like Zenith, right, which is a traditional sort of online digital media buying agency. And they're saying, hey, we'd like to engage you to with some of our clients to create content, owned media pieces that we will use as part of a media buy. And they're trying to do that in so that they can sort of wedge themselves in as a differentiator against some of these other ad agencies and their competition that they're finding, you know, that they're finding uh, an opportunity to compete in. And I think it's a really interesting idea. These media agencies can now go in and say, you know what, it's not all about the AOR relationship anymore. We can create content for you and we can promote that content in a way that, you know, through programmatic ad buying 
that your your other ad agency can't do. I mean, they actually have a really interesting competitive advantage there. Do you think that they're going to start buying up a lot of these content production groups or custom publishers that are out there saying, "Hey, we don't we need this capability. We can either build it or maybe we should go out and buy it." I do, and but and I think that's a mistake, by the way. But I but I think yeah, you're going to start to see a lot of these agencies buy up these production houses as as just a means of you know uh, as a means of competing, right? So a lot of them will buy them for the creative talent to make it exclusive. Um, I think you're going to see a lot a, a lot. Why of do that. You, why do you think it's a mistake? I, I think it's a mistake because I, I, I think if I were if I were running an agency, there's no reason to buy it. There's no reason I want to. I need to buy it. I can always, you know, this is the this is the classic. You know, if you look at the traditional media model, right? So a television network is a great example here. If I'm a television network, I don't need to own the production capabilities. I can go rent that and and basically buy shows from production houses as I want to, and so I don't have the overhead of, of the production house on my books. I only have the latest and greatest, you know, so they're only as good as the last wonderful show that they delivered. Now, I may pay a little more for that show than I otherwise might if I actually had that in-house, but I also don't have that production house's staff on my books when they're figuring out what the next show is going to be. So I look at the agency now as kind of as, a, as you know, not dissimilar from, from, a, you know, from a movie studio or a, or, a, uh, you know, or, or a television network where they're trying to come up with a lineup of content and, and sort of creative creativity for their clients, and in their case, it's advertisers, right, but, but in, you know, for their clients, that matches what they're trying to do. And it's just as easy, I think, to go out and outsource that through wonderful, small, very creative boutique talent houses rather than sort of build it in-house and scale it. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I agree. I mean, I, th- I think that it, it depends. I think that some of those purchases could happen. But it actually, what you're saying plays to the fact that why do a lot of content agencies not see the value when they get bought because, a lot, because they don't necessarily – the asset is in the people and the asset is in any of the long-term agreements they would have – from a content perspective, and most of those agreements aren't very long. Most of them are a year, year or well, two look, at the most. Well, look, so, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And and, and, and let me say I'd, I have the exact opposite take if I were a brand, right? If we're, so if I'm a CMO, and you and I have had this discussion many times, if I'm a CMO, I'm going to buy somebody, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own it. I want to own it and build it and make, make us talented at it in-house. And you're already starting to see some of that, right, with Apple building a big in-house creative team, um, Starbucks is doing the same. A, lum- a number of big consumer brands are starting to bring and build in-house teams to actually supplement and, in some cases, supplant um, their agency relationships that they have from a creative side. With the difference being, when you're Apple, you have one story to tell. When you're an agency, you have whoever the next, you know, whoever the next big thing is on the horizon. You don't know. And so that's, that's, that's the real difference for me is because tomorrow if I'm an agency, my Apple account may just decide to go away and then I need a new creative house for the new account that I'm trying to close. So it's much more ephemeral, the relationship that you have with the stories that you're trying but if to I'm, tell. But if I'm a brand, I would much rather want to buy a media company or a publisher that has owned assets, particularly a subscriber base. Versus, and, and and content creators, uh, way more than I would just a content production agency. Oh, absolutely, yeah, no, I yeah, and I I, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah, no, I somebody who's got an in, an audience, yeah, exactly. right? Somebody who's already got a yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's that's you know, but given given both things being equal, if if I were on the brand side, I get why you'd buy a production house. On the agency side, I wouldn't. It's gonna get funky. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Here we come. That's the title. I like that. That should be the title of uh, this it's, week's it's show. Gonna get funky. Gonna, gonna get, get funky. gonna get funky. Get gonna down, get funky. Get All right. Okay. Now moving on um, to the next story here. The death of email apparently has been greatly exaggerated. Joe um, David Carr, uh, writing for the New York Times. Uh, has uh, written a piece, which I think was really interesting, um, maybe not that big of a piece of news, but he opens it up in a very clever way by basically saying, hey, there's this brand new, wonderful, awesome new, radical new channel that you should be communicating with your customers on, and it's called email. <laughs> and he basically goes through how email has become you know, the new black again, I guess, um, with uh, you know, 
sort of consumers so overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that they're getting that that, that now email is 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 really come back. What did, what did you think about this? I, well, first of all, I love David Carr. I, I really yeah. uh, try to pay attention to what he talks about. And it was interesting. I would not have expected this from David Carr, but I was delighted. I would not have either. Yeah, it was an interesting, yeah, it was an interesting piece I was from delighted him. to see it because, I mean, how many of articles have we seen on the death of email? And you've got to focus on social. Right. And here we are saying, look, 80% of the people that go to your website will never come back again. What are, what are we striving for? We need to start that relationship somewhere, some way, and – how do we do that? We can do that through getting them to sign up for an email newsletter. And what yeah. I love about what he goes through is it seems to be in a lot of buyers out there where they're overwhelmed with all this information they're getting from all these disparate sources. They're starting to say, look, I rely on this email newsletter, this one and this one to get me through and start my day. And he, he basically admits that that's how he starts his day. Is looking okay. What are where are my email newsletters that I go to, uh, Fast Company, Atlantic, Medium, whatever, and find out okay here's where the news is going on, and then I go to social. So it's email first and social, and well we know this because our stats will tell us we don't see much bump in social media sharing until the email newsletter goes out. That that's the right. steroids. That's the catalyst for this. Now, granted. It is tougher than ever to cut through that clutter, and that's why you have to have a darn good email newsletter with really amazing content. And that, that's, that's where right. I think where people go wrong. They say, well, nobody's got, you, they, there's, everybody's getting so much spam. They're not going to want to get our, my email newsletter. Well, then you have to look at your product. There's probably something wrong with your email newsletter if it's not cutting through in some way. If it's super valuable, that's right. it'll cut through and you'll make it. So, I, I mean, I totally agree with this, and I was just on uh, Matt Collier's blog chat just you know, thirty minutes before we started this whole thing, and by the way, Mac does a great job. He's been doing blog chat forever and ever. He does indeed. He and, does indeed. And I was talking about, look, if you start a blog, you want to start building your subscriber base as soon as you can. And there's a lot of people that disagreed with me on that. And I'm like, how can you disagree with me on that? That I mean, how can you not? The, <laughs> I'm Joe Polizzi. You, you can't disagree with me. Know who I am. <laughs> But seriously, I mean, it's if we we have what do we want to do, right? We want to see the difference between those people that engage in our content versus those that don't. How can we see that the clearest? We can see that through our subscriber database. So, I mean, it's I wish more people would look at this, and I don't know where it's going to go, but it seems like email is is has a. I mean, it's not like. Email gets replaced when social comes around. I mean, radio has not been replaced. It's radio continues yeah. to go on. TV continues to go on, and whatever whatever TV is today, everything continues to go on. So I think email serves that purpose to connect with a reader with a consistent message on an ongoing basis, and that's why publishing companies the basis for the value inside a media company is its subscriber base. So. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And that that small humming noise that you hear is every marketing person at Exact Target and Silver Pop and Lyris and all those companies sort of copying this article and getting it ready to send to every single one of their prospects because this is just a love letter to email and it's uh, it. it it's it's so true. It, I I think it's really you know it's becoming sort of the highest level of permission, right? So if I give you my email address that I'm actually going to check and look at. It's you know that's a pretty big deal. Did these you days. did you get the new issue of Inc. Magazine yet by chance? Okay, I have not. so Inc. Magazine it no. came over the weekend and I I read it and there's an article and I don't remember the woman's name that started Daily Candy. Maybe you remember? I oh right. Anyways, I, I don't remember her name, but I know I know the yeah. Brand so she very told well. the story of how she started Daily Candy. Daily Candy was started on the idea of an email database, email yeah. list, email subscribers. My wife gets it. My wife so gets it. They. Um, they were bought out by Comcast, NBC Comcast, and then they immediately started to think, well, how can we change this? Because email's not going to last. Are, are we, are we going to do uh, uh, some kind of – are we going to sell, sell things? Are we going to be an e-commerce company? And they're trying to think of all these. And so there's fiddling with the business model forever and ever and ever. Took a $125 million company and took it down to the dumps. And they basically oh just shut – basically, she said in the article, they just shut the doors on it. And, wow. and she's trying to buy it back, but they said no, that she can't buy it back, or she wanted to buy the brand back. 
Wow. So 125 million company down to zero because they didn't feel they had a business model with email. And boy, what what, what a mistake that was. Oh my God, that's and it's what a it, story. it's, what it's a really story. an amazing story. So I mean, we should put this in the in the show notes, uh, the Inc. the Inc. Yeah. article. There's a really cool video on the Inc. site that has a three minute of her basically saying how they screwed this up so bad. And, <laughs> and as an owner, she was miserable watching right? it happen. I mean, she got her buyout, which was great, but I mean, that was her baby, and they just flushed it down the toilet. And I think if they would have said, "Look." Email's a pretty darn good channel. How can we use this as the base and build off of this? Like we talk to a lot of uh, brands that we work with around, hey, we can build off of that and we can build other things like webinars and webcasts, ebooks, exactly. podcasts like we're doing here. We can build a lot of things off of that instead of saying, oh, it's not going to last. We better do something else. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on. We see a really interesting trend here. Uh, this comes from Search Engine Land. This is the next article, and it. I don't, I'm not really sure how I how I feel about this. I wanted to get your take on this show. This um, the headline of the article is Search Engines see search traffic drop by as much as 31 percent. Now I'm not sure that I would if, if that this wouldn't have made bigger news, but um, had this really been true, but. Um, this is a new report that comes from the company Shareaholic and then republished on, on Search Engine Land. The study, anyway, comes from Shareaholic. And it claims that the top five search engines, Google, Bing, Yahoo, Ask.com, and AOL, um, have all experienced a decline in search traffic since uh, December of 2013. And they basically looked at data from 20, uh, December of 2013 through May of 2014 and basically looked at all of the traffic, and they said – like Google search traffic fell 17%. Uh, Bing, Yahoo, Ask, and AOL saw even bigger drops. Um, Bing and Yahoo saw a 31% decline. I mean, do you? What do you think about this? Well, as we talked about, I was I was kind of dumbfounded by this. And so here's my take on it. And this is where you could make stats say anything you want, right? <laughs> right. If you're starting it at December. Uh, 2013, and then you're ending it at May 2014. You don't have good com- you don't have good comparables. <laughs> what did you, what do you have? Right. What happens in December? Lots of people searching right. for holiday presents, right? And then okay, in May maybe not so much. So I'm I'm just thinking yes, it was really really high in December, and then it goes down to May. I'm under the assumption that in December 2014 it'll be back up there because people are <laughs> doing more searching because they're searching. I mean. That could be it, right? I mean, and there's a lot of people in the comments that even said, hey, this is a seasonality issue. Uh, you can't right. say this. I mean, did, is that <laughs> – what do you think? This- yeah, I think I think there's something weird here for sure um, because, you know, I see this and I, I – you know, as much as I think search probably has declined, I wouldn't – you know, <clears throat> look, I – if this, if they had said a five percent or a ten percent decline across all of the different search engines, I might have bought that, right? Because I know for a fact that I'm using search engines less now. Um, you know, I'm going to my social, uh, my social, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or uh, Twitter, and I'm actually searching there for other stuff. I'm actually using recommend recommendations a lot more, and I'm using aggregators a lot more, filters, right, and and that has become sort of my way of, of finding things. Now, I, but I still use Google every single yeah. day to find that weird thing. Um, and that what, what baffles me here is that there has been such an exponential rise in mobile that I can't understand why, you know, if they had said this search traffic represents desktop searches, I would have bought it immediately yeah. and said, yep, I totally buy it. But if this includes, which it doesn't say in this article whether it does or not, and it just assumes that it's you know it's all all traffic is equal here, I I I would think that the search has actually increased because mobile has to be a huge part of that. Yeah, it's it's tough for me because even over the over the weekend when we're hanging out with friends, everybody had their phones out. I mean, everybody's searching. They're searching for movie stuff. They're searching for, oh, somebody said this. I got to look this up. I mean, they're using Google <laughs> nonstop from their mobile right. device than ever before. I So it's it's just hard for me to buy these numbers. You're right. A smaller dip, I could see. This bigger dip, there's 
it can't be right. Thirty yeah. percent is just. But, yeah, but there's anyways, something, there's something. I, wonky well, here's there. what I would like to see. I'm going to question the results until I see December to December. Let's see a full year. Let's take all the variables into consideration. Let's do the 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 search the research the right way, like most benchmark studies right. do. And that's then right. I'll buy it. But right now, I'm not buying it. That's right. That's right. And by the way, it's not measuring. This is not like numbers that are being provided by the search engines. We should also note that what they've done here is they've aggregated search traffic from, as they say, 300,000 publishers. Um, so they basically took search traffic from the destination. So the the decline could also be incorporated. And again, I don't know about the methodology here, but the decline could also reflect click-throughs, right? So, you know, where, you know, in other words, the the you know the the click throughs are down but the searches are still the same so there's you know there's some segment in there that may be just that the organic search traffic is down because it's coming could from it, other could places. it be the long tail too could it be the fact that, could, that yeah. the that the difference is in over the 300,000 publishers that they don't look at now cuz they cuz there's more publishers every day i mean i don't know just throwing that out there it could be yeah we yeah, yeah. i mean it could be a lot of things right? we get all we get all kinds of theories yes right so so why the hell did we what even bring it? it up oh Let's my gosh next <laughs> next moving on all right um well this one is just as annoying uh quite frankly <laughs> we give people um, annoying this annoying <laughs> the, the annoying stories. stories well but this one you know this one actually got a little bit of traction here um and and this one, this this one actually did annoy me. This the article is is comes from allfacebook.com, um, which should tip you off immediately. Um, but basically, the headline is what Facebook users want out of brands, and it's a study that was done by a company called Accent Marketing Services. They apparently surveyed more than a thousand U.S. Inter- internet users to find out. And this is what just cracked me up, Joe, and then I would love to get your take on this. They, so according to this research, 72% of Internet users only want to interact with brands when they comment via social media channels. In other words, they only want, they only want to interact when they comment to the brand. 82% uh, use Facebook to communicate with customer service representatives. And then two-thirds, 66%, use Facebook uh, to locate deals and promotions um, that uh, that they that they may be looking for, so I mean, though, so I looked at those numbers sort of in context, and I sort of looked at them, took a step back, and went, "All right, so basically, what they're saying here is, consumers only want to engage with a brand when they have a problem and they have a complaint that they want rectified, or a question that they have about a brand, and they're hoping to God somebody else has answered the question already, because they the last thing they want to do is engage with that brand in any sort of back and forth. I mean." Did you take something different away I, from this? I think this is completely useless. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't. Do, when you ask people, do you want to engage with a brand? The answer is going right. to be no. I'm going to do everything possible not to engage in a brand. And that's that. That said, there are brands out there that are creating really useful information, really enter- really entertaining stuff, and they're getting that kind of engagement. Like the well, the one of yes. the stories went through the whole. Well, but it, it, right, it's like it's like asking you, right? So, when was the last time you engaged with a brand, Joe? And you're going to go, uh, and you're going to think, well, when was the last time I had a problem that I had to call and get rectified? Right? Yeah, I mean, when I use Twitter to engage, to engage with a brand, I'm usually trying to call something out because I I'm upset about something, and I and right. I'm I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to get the attention of these people because when I call the number and I'm getting, I mean, I just did this the other day, a fairly large brand and I had to, to talk to somebody on the phone and I went directly to their overseas outlets and she couldn't understand what I was saying. And then I was like, can I talk? And then I kept hitting, I kept, I kept just punching zero, zero, was, zero till but I, but her name was Judy and she was from Nebraska, right? I got somebody. Yeah. It was, it was Jim from Des Moines with a really odd yeah, accent. Right. And I'm like trying to figure, I'm like, I just want somebody to help me. At that point, if they had some kind of a social media presence, which in this case they didn't, I probably would have used it because I wouldn't thought I'd, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have gotten anywhere on on social media because these people weren't listening. That's a whole other story. I should probably have ran it about. That. Right. But yeah, I, I don't <laughs> right. think I, I don't think that people. I think people's behavior. I want to see a a story on this or a survey on people's actual behavior. I don't think you can ask people this because they'll they'll <laughs> the, never. You know, here's the, the here's, here's knowingly. Well, 
Here's the funny thing. Facebook might be able to provide us with that study, but they would be, you know, they, they just got they just got yelled at roundly for doing exactly that. Facebook has, <laughs> basically yeah. Facebook wa- has watching people's behavior. Yeah. Facebook already right. knows this information. They know exactly every social network has exactly. On. That's a whole and, different subject. Did we cover that right. last and week then, about the whole privacy? We did. Thing? I had it was my rant. Yeah, oh, that was my right. rant last week that that I said that you know Facebook got I got a lot of overly coverage. torn across the. It really did, and it's just uh, I you know even even now I'm 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 like you know uh, there was a couple of people who wrote the blog post that I wanted to write so. I didn't end up writing a post, which is kind of shame on me because I should have written it and gotten it out there. But I was just sort of uh, torn on whether I should or shouldn't do it. But um, somebody wrote the post that I wanted to write, which was basically, look, this is, you know, you can hate this, um, but every brand that you deal with does this, watches your behavior and, and, you know, and and tries to deliver you a better experience because of it. And so what we're really mad at is that they actually published it, right? If they had never published this study, but instead we learned somehow that they actually watch our behavior and modify the algorithm accordingly, we would have there would have been no upset over this. The fact was it was called a research study and there was emotion brought into it and then all of a sudden it became Facebook is manipulating our emotions and studying us like our lab rats. And now everybody goes off and grabs their pitchforks and bonfires and that's it. So yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> let, let's, uh, let's go on to the next meaningless uh, yeah. stat <laughs> exactly. study that you pulled well, out. It, well, like, yes, exactly. So, so speaking of, of, of meaningless uh, research projects, it was a slow news week, my friend. So speaking of meaningless stats, uh, the Gallup organization, actually, this is a well-respected research organization. This actually got quite a bit of coverage as well. Um, the headline reads, social doesn't convince consumers at all, says the study, and this comes from Gallup. And basically, the, you know, they went out and interviewed a bunch of people, as Gallup is, is, uh, is known to do, and they discovered that 62% of the 18,000 survey respondents claimed that social media had no influence at all on any purchasing decisions. A meager 5% said that social media exerted a great deal of influence. And this is exactly to your point that you just made five minutes ago, which is, I, you know, you go ask somebody, were you influenced by that advertisement? No, heck no. You can't influence me with advertising. Excuse me while I go drink my I Pepsi. I right? mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. There are no messages they could get through my cape. I mean, like. That is correct. On, it's just, yeah, so basically the whole story is 62%. Most of these people say that they are not influenced by social media. And I believe that that really means that they don't know. They right. don't know, which means they probably are. Right. What well, here's what here's the interesting thing to me. There was a the the number that was fun in this at least was ninety four percent of the respondents said they were there on social media to connect with friends and family. What are the other six percent doing? <laughs> what what is the what is the other six percent on social media? What did they say? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like That's what, a really good. Why question. are you there? Is that in here? I want to see that. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's the way they ask the question. <laughs> <They're stalking> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh! This yeah. show is going off they, the um... rails as we speak. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, coming back onto the rails, there is a wonderful, wonderful sponsor we have to talk about. Let's, let's, let's bring this so poem with this bad the boy. wonderful okay, folks yeah, once again, with, uh, super with my Emma. Super thankful to this old marketing's sponsor, Emma. Uh, you can go to myemma.com and check them out. Email marketing for the modern brand featuring mobile responsive templates, social integration tools. You have to have those today. And the all-important infamous now concierge services um they have a really good piece of content you and i both check this out it's a web it's just it's a webinar and it's worth when you if you get the time make the time check out the eight second challenge email marketing for the shrinking attention span which is now eight seconds which is hard to believe ours is like three but there you go you can (laughs) you can download uh the eight second challenge there's a number you can get behind. The eight-second exactly. challenge right there. Download it at bit.ly.com slash PNR dash Emma 8, the number 8. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR dash Emma 8. That's all lowercase. Please check it out. Support our sponsor. We wouldn't be able to bring you all these uh, worthless statistics. Every <laughs> Meaningless news stories. Every week <laughs> that make no impact on your life without 
<laughs> uh, sponsors like Emma. So thank you so much to, to Emma for making that possible. That is so wonderful. They, they're just such a wonderful organization. All right. Well, now it is time for the show that uh, hopefully will bring some meaning back into your life. Um, it is time for our rants and raves where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that has given us a little bit of pleasure or given us a little bit of agita over the last week. Um, I'm going to go first since I'm doing the This Old Marketing example. Um, And I have a rave this week. I went two weeks in a row with rants, um, and so I have a wonderful rave this week. And I just could – I found these guys again and so – uh, and full disclosure here, I am a huge fanboy. So um, if there is anybody from Newcastle Brown Ale listening to this, um, I'm a huge fan. Let me say that again. I'm a huge fan of Newcastle stuff. Brown Ale. <laughs> so uh, I really do love myself a good Newcastle. But anyway, this has nothing to do with my uh, preponderance of uh, enjoying a good brown ale. What it does have to do with is their uh, the campaign that they ran – um, this July 4th, this Independence Day for the U.S., and just it was just delightful. So you may have seen during the Super Bowl uh, earlier this year, they made a lot of hay by not buying any ads. They actually didn't purchase any ads uh, for the Super Bowl, but did this what they called an ambush campaign where they put out a bunch of YouTube videos and made their own – an owned media property called If We Made It. Um, which is still live, by the way. You can go off and see it. And basically, it was a series of videos that they did over the course of a, of a couple of months where they basically said, if we had made a Super Bowl commercial, this is what it would have been. And it was just delightful. They had Anna Kendricks uh, talking about how she would have been the star of it, and they had actual storyboards. They did focus groups. It was hysterical. Well, they have really outdone themselves now because now they've created another owned media property called ifwewon.com. Um, and this is really about what would have happened if the British had won the War of Independence. And they've now started this thing called that they want to celebrate Independence Eve on July 3rd. Oh and they've God. got all these videos. It's just so great. They've got Stephen Merchant, who is just hysterical, doing a video about why being British is so awesome, why the accent gets him girls, and why he, and he makes a joke about national health care, and he curses in it, so it's a little edgy. It's just fantastic. they got Zachary Quinto, who is, you know, of course, from Star Trek and uh, also uh, talking about how it is to be a great actor um, and, and being an American actor, but how that just pales in comparison to being a British thespian. Oh and then they've got Elizabeth Hurley doing this, how uh, English swear words are much better. Um, and then they've got this whole thing where they've got this British reporter running around asking uh, Americans about Independence Eve and what they think about Independence Eve and celebrating it. It's just wonderful. It's just a wonderful, wonderful platform. Um, it's they they did it in the exact same style the website um, which is just a microsite of videos and it's just and if this becomes an ongoing effort for them I just think it's just going to be fantastic you know so the first one was if we made it and this one is if we won and there's I I think the I just think the world of this it's just great I'll have to check it out I have not uh, done so so I'll make sure. As part of my ifwewon.com, ifwewon.com, we'll check that out, and we'll put it in the show notes. I'll of check course. that out on the during the rest of my vacation here. Uh, we'll there check it that is. Out. You know, I've a real quick. Uh, I guess it's a rant, and I, so I was just on, as I said, Matt Collier's blog chat, and I'm supposed to, of course, answer questions about content marketing strategy <laughs> related to blogs. And the first one is, how do you start a content strategy for a blog? And my first thing was, well, you have to, you know, this is sort of simple. We'll start out basic, but we have to go with, you know, why are you doing this? And I said, there's really only three reasons to do it. You know, are you driving, trying to drive sales for the organization in some way? Are you trying to save costs for the organization in some way? Are you trying to create happier customers, uh, loyalty, retention, whatever the case is? Whatever your goals are, they're going to bubble up into one of those three, and we need to figure out why we're doing this in the first place. And I got a storm of people that just did not like that at all. And so there was a bunch of people that came back at me like, Joe, what about thought leadership? I said, well, why are you being – what's the purpose of being a thought leader? And like, are you – like, you just want to be a thought leader? Or is it to grow the business in some way? Or is it to create – 
um, better relationships with your customers. Like, what's the deal there? And they say, well, what about brand awareness? What about brand attribution? And then this was the funny, and I got two funny ones. And then the next one was, well, we do it for web traffic. <laughs> and that's where a whole thing where you're focusing on the metric, not the goal. Okay, great. You get a lot of right. web traffic. Well, what is that doing for, for what? you, right? And then the one I <laughs> right. couldn't come back with, and there were, and, and I love this group, by the way, so nothing, I'm not slamming against them, but it's just the idea that we've got to figure out why we're doing these things in the first place. The one, there were many people on there saying, I just do it for therapy. I'm like, <laughs> I can't really, like, how am I supposed to come back? I said, well, if it makes you feel better, then I'm happy for you. I mean, but but really... It, well, I wonder if those are personal bloggers, yeah, they're, right? They're, or, they're, or they're blogging for they, themselves rather than for a, for a company. Exactly. I mean, if they're doing it for a company, well, that's, God exactly. bless you. Well, what I, I, you know, if you're doing yeah, it for they're, therapy... They're definitely personal bloggers, but what, what I said was, if this right. is a diary, then, then well, this is not the right... Like, I'm not helping you. If you just have a public diary that basically you're going on, I, right. I can't really help you with that. But Which, by the way, is how web blogging started, right? I mean... You know, that's how it all started was with, you know, individuals sort of pouring their hearts out and, and making online journaling. Exactly. Right? And, and that's, that was the one conversation that a lot of people brought up was you may not know right now what your goal is, but ultimately you're going to have to find one if you really want to make this thing <laughs> right. work for you. So maybe let's go and find that that why. And, and you and I talk about it all the time. And when we go in and we, you know, you, have, you work with these brands that are doing all these, you know, averaging 18 different content sources that they're you know webinars and e-newsletters and blogs and podcasts whatever and they don't in some cases they don't know what the business reason is behind it because somebody right. didn't define it well enough or the the different groups don't really understand they have different goals but they don't know how that bubbles up into an overall business objective or they've been doing it so long they forgot it's just oh we've been doing that forever We've done the print magazine forever. We, we we can't not do the print magazine because that's what we do. Why do we do that? What is it? So, anyways, that's my whole little rant on that. And I guess I would just ask everybody listening to this is to make that list. You know, put that why question mark at the top and make that list of all the stuff you're creating content for, and really have an understanding about why you're doing it. And great, great group of people love what Mac has been doing. By the way, I was happy to be on that, but a lot of people didn't yeah. like my my response. So. <laughs> well, you, you know, you, you blog long enough for a corporation and, and, and do it for no good business reason. You're going to need therapy. So, well, there you go. Maybe that's, <laughs> I'm going to need, yeah, I, I need therapy after doing these Twitter chats. I'm going to start <laughs> a blog. That's just therapeutic. So Eddie, do we have a, a this old, oh, you, you're going to do this we, old marketing. We this do have a wonderful, this old marketing example this week. Um, this, the reason I, I, I came across this, I'm, I'm starting to do a little work with a nonprofit on a, you know, I try and do a little bit of pro bono work every year on projects that really feed my passion. And I'm not doing work with these guys, but um, I have I've known about them forever, um, mainly because a, a, a friend of mine has done a lot of work with them, um, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and they are based in Alabama. Um, and uh, they were started; they've been around forever um, since the early '70s when they were founded as a civil rights law firm uh, based in Montgomery, uh, in Alabama. And they're a really fascinating nonprofit organization, basically dedicated to to really just fighting hate and bigotry and and looking to give lawyers and you know they basically have like a three they have what they call their three pronged strategy um, where they they look in tracking activities of all these hate groups and what they call domestic terrorists across the country um, and then they sort of launch lawsuits against them to sort of destroy them as they so they're sort of a proactive group in that way then they also use lawyers that they that they sort of employ to um, represent people who have been accused and or you know or are facing sort of racist or bigot uh, bigoted sort of uh, things and then the last thing which is where I'll get to the content marketing in this old marketing example is they provide educators with resources um, that teach uh, about you know how to how to how to teach kids how to reject hate and embrace diversity and all that kind of stuff. So just a, a really interesting uh, nonprofit. The, what I want to bring up is is that they have this magazine that they've had. Um, I know they've had it since the early '90s, um, which is now going back almost 20 years. Um, called Teaching Tolerance. 
And they do three issues a year now, which goes out to more than 400,000 for free educators. And it drives awareness of their mission, of what they're doing from a nonprofit perspective. It has now expanded over the last couple of years. The magazine has now expanded into an iPad uh, and, and mobile uh, application, which is also given to teachers. But then also it has spurred off all of these other little um, uh, basically bundles of content that they do under now they now they have it under its own content brand called teachingtolerance.org where they've got like kits where you can sign up and uh, other packets of information that have classroom exercises um, and games and all these kinds of things to teach kids all about um, all of the different history of the civil rights movement um, and segregation and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it now has an e-newsletter. Uh, and, and of course, uh, all of that is included in their digital and their social. Um, it, so it's just a fantastic example of taking a what was once just a print magazine that was produced quarterly to send it out to the teachers to try and execute some of their mission but has now become sort of this wider spread thing that is itself sort of its own media company driving uh driving awareness of their mission driving awareness and and of course ultimately the way they they get their funding is through direct donations um through through marketing campaigns that they run uh and have been doing forever. So just a wonderful example of, of content marketing in action that's actually driving business results for a nonprofit. That's probably a huge driver of donations, I would imagine, correct? Yeah. I don't know, to be honest with you, because I know that it goes out to educators. So, And not having seen the magazine lately, I don't know if there's direct calls to action for donations in there. What I do know is, is that it drives a tremendous amount of awareness um, for them in local media as well as um, uh, national media and, of course, among the educators, which, again, of course, drives awareness to parents, and that, of course, drives donations that way, I'm sure. But I have not seen the magazine to see if there's any direct calls to action in there. Very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're so you're on vacation. You're you out know, of here, it's, right? It's so, going to be interesting the next, I would say, three weeks. As you know, I'm, I'm not traveling at all. You know, no, I'm still working technically, but no business travel. So this is the time. Uh, in July where we do a lot of family trips and we've got one plan for tomorrow actually one uh, family trip the next three weeks Uh, shorter places shorter trips but looking forward to hanging out with the kids and the family and just it'll be be so it'll be super uh, awesome spending time with the boys and uh, so I, I got to make up for all those time where <laughs> you and I are overseas gallivanting around doing speeches and, and whatnot. Nice. How about how about you? Any any good plans this week? I am I am heads down in my book, my friend. You know all about this, um, and the book is coming. Um, we're doing we're planning some fun stuff for Content Marketing World this year. I am heads down working on working on book chapters, and so that's where I'm going to be when I'm not doing other things with clients, and of course, and all that stuff. But I'm home. I'm not traveling till the end of the month, so. This is my this is my time to write. Good for you, man. I'm uh, this. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be your magnum opus. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but it should be <laughs> it should be it should be interesting. Hopefully, a little more interesting than uh, than the previous forty minutes of oh nonsense numbers God. that we just went through. All right, yeah, we'll wrap it up. All right, <laughs> that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And uh, remember to tweet us up at hashtag This Old Marketing. I've seen a couple of those. I saw one last week. Wonderful picture of somebody sharing the This Old Marketing podcast with their entire crew. It was sort of a mass listening so um a wonderful wonderful picture that i got to favorite on twitter also if you've got a question send an email this old marketing at contentinstitute.com and if you like this episode number 34 we hope you will consider subscribing on itunes or stitcher.com all those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com remember everybody it's your story to tell go tell it well see you next week on this old marketing world